This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, we now have a date to look forward to. This morning, the Premier said that if things continue to go as well as they are now, and that is a big if, the province may start easing restrictions by sometime in May around, you know, Victoria Day or a little later than that. Yesterday, he hinted that outdoor activities may be the first area that opens up, but it'll be up to public health authorities to make the call. So what has to happen before we start getting back to normal? On the line, I have Dr. Joshua Tepper, President and CEO of the North York General Hospital here in Toronto. Hi, Dr. Tepper. Good afternoon. So um, thank you for being with us. Um, What has to happen before we start uh, opening things up in in terms of uh, benchmarks? You know, I think a few things. First of all, we're going to continue to want to look very carefully at the data. Uh, we're going to want to see that that flattening of the curve that we've seen over the last roughly 10 days or so continues uh, and that we aren't suddenly seeing an uptick or a change, uh, particularly outside of the long-term care homes. We know our shelters, our congregate living settings are really hot spots, but we want to be looking for outside of those hot spots as well. As well. So a, a continued flattening is number one. Number two is we're going to continue to want to look at our testing capacity, which is uh, steadily improved in terms of how many tests we can do and how fast we can get uh, the results back. And then the third thing is just a really careful consideration of how do we start to release things in a very thoughtful, careful, sort of titrated way or tempered way, and also with the ability that if needed to be able to close it back down again, not what anybody wants but being able, if we have to, to take a step back. Do we have to have any period of time with no new cases, or, or is that kind of wishful? I think that's wishful, unfortunately. I, you know, I, I, I don't think going to zero is going to be probably the reality, at least not in the short term, uh, or even probably the medium term. Um, and for all we know, it may not be zero cases, may not even be a long-term goal. But what we do want to see is this sort of steady flattening and maybe even start to see a decrease uh, in the number of cases. So we want to, that, that, that's the key in, in the numbers that we're looking at and not seeing a, a rate of, you know, an increase that's exponential or anything close to it. We want to see that nice flattening that we've seen in recent times. Now, uh, I have some sources and they were telling me that according to uh, some of the latest modeling that they've seen, uh, this modeling projects that even in communal settings like long-term care and prisons, they think that the number of cases will start decreasing around May the 4th, early in May. Uh, are you aware of that or do you agree with that? I haven't that? seen that modeling. I, I, I think I think it may be a bit, I haven't seen the modeling and I don't know the data on which it's based, so I probably shouldn't comment. I hope it's right. Um, but again, I think there's a lot uh, there's a lot of effort being put in. I know my hospital is spending a lot of time collaborating and coordinating uh, with the long-term care homes and the shelters in our area. Uh, so a lot of good effort is underway right now. 
and and hopefully that will yield dividends. And but it it seems to be that uh, these things are are starting to be treated as two different pandemics, one in the community and one in long term care. I, I think that's um, I think that's right. Uh, again, the problem is is that uh, it's very easy for those two to start to bleed back into each other again, uh, especially if we start to lift visitor restrictions. Uh, being mindful of the thousands of people every day who work uh, and go in and out of long-term care homes in different roles. Uh, and so, they're, you know, these are not truly segregated uh, entities, although I think right now we're doing a tremendous amount to try to create two separate spaces and then within each long-term care home to really try to limit the mobility uh, between different long-term care homes, et cetera. So we are trying to really... Uh, create quarantine states that we can really then manage and control the disease in. Um, and, and the goal will be to continue to do that. Uh, it's not easy, like I said, uh, especially as we start to lift visitor restrictions and, and who knows when that will happen exactly. Uh, but those will be things that we want to continue to try to do and pay attention to. Um there are a lot of people out there who are saying, uh, yes, create that iron ring around long-term care and let everyone else go back to work. What do you say to those people? Yeah. What I say is that there's a lot, there is still a lot of community spread uh, out there. Let's be clear that there is, you know, yes, our long-term care homes, some of them, not all, some of them are, you know, really in hot spots. But we should not be under the illusion that that means the rest of society is at zero. Um, and I think uh, if you look at places like Singapore and Japan in the last five, seven days, uh, we've seen places that have rapidly tried to return to normal and have seen very significant surges and, and devastating effects on the healthcare system uh, being overwhelmed and, of course, people uh, being very unwell. So I, I think people are that sort of binary, there's a community in a long-term care is a bit artificial. And this idea that the community is at zero and long-term care is hot is also an artificial construct. And uh, we continue to admit patients every day in our hospitals, including mine, uh, from the community, not long-term care uh, with COVID-19. So this has to be, as our premier said very wisely and thoughtfully, a very careful titrated, cautious return to normal, not uh, not a light switch on and off, but a very careful dimmer switch. A uh, couple of questions. First of all, can you give us a little detail on it, on what's happening in Singapore and Japan? So how long after they started to uh, open up d- did the, the second wave, if, to call it that, did that appear? You know, I don't have the exact dates about when they started to relax and then when they started. Again, one of the things we do know is that there can be up to a two to three week, typically a two week delay. And also that the early part of the surge can be fairly slow. And then you hit this sudden exponential sort of hockey stick on the graph appearing. And so it, it could, there can be a bit of a delay in realizing that you're back in trouble again. And so we need to have a lot of testing and we need to be being very careful, paying close attention. And again, I think what we're going to see is a very careful release of the valve. And I would ask people, just as people have been really responsible in allowing us to even be able to have this conversation sooner than we thought, with fewer people dying in Ontario than we were worried about, that as this, you know, we start to return, that people are very respectful of the careful opening as opposed to just the wide opening. Uh, because again, it, we, it, it's easy to fall back uh, into a very... Uh, 
unfortunate situation. Uh, we're seeing that in the United States, excuse me, in Georgia, <clears throat> they're opening up there and going beyond even what the Trump administration is recommending. They're, they're opening up tattoo parlors and hair salons and spas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the other hand, we, Air Canada is shutting down flights to the United States for a while, but is, is that a danger for us? Um, well, I think I think I saw something yesterday that Air Canada has continued to keep their flights quite low. Yeah, well, they're um, they're and shutting think, well, them all, down entirely to the yeah, United States. I, I think there was something last night that they have once again really reducing flights. I think I saw that last night. Um, you know, I think we'll all be watching Georgia with some interest. Uh, and I also saw pictures tweeted out of, you know, crowded beaches, I think, in Florida. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see in 14 to 30 days, uh, how that experiment is going. And, and it'll be interesting for us to observe. I, I won't prejudge the outcome or those decisions, uh, but I think we'll all be watching carefully. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you expect that when the time comes, uh, the Premier kind of hinted that it might be outdoor things that come back first, uh, you know, there've been lobbying by golf courses that said, uh, Hey, you know, there's, there's no issue with playing golf. It's easy to keep physically separated. Uh, and, uh, as he mentioned yesterday, there's all kinds of lobbying about what should go first. And, uh, and we've seen economic devastation. So do you have a For sense? Sure. I don't, I, you know, I know BC made some moves on golf courses and Alberta the same day said, no, we're not going to do that. I do think we're going to want to uh, create environments where social distancing uh, is, um, you know, you can optimize social distancing as easy as possible. Again, you think about four people in a golf cart, you think about people in, you know, grabbing meals uh, and beverages together afterwards in sort of closed settings. So, you know, we'll have to just think about uh, what exactly this looks like. And I think people will have to make thoughtful choices uh, as well for themselves. And again, if you're older, um, I would just really encourage a high degree of, of caution. Uh, you know, one fairly consistent statistic globally is the devastating impact uh, this has, particularly on mortality death uh, for people who are older. So, yes, society will start to make some cautious decisions. And then with even keeping within those, people will have to make individual decisions. And certainly for those who are older uh, and those who have underlying immune suppression and complex health issues, uh, I would encourage them to be extra prudent, even within the careful releasing that the premier talked about. Well, yeah, and I mean, there's older and there's older. I saw a statistic that the median age uh, of people dying is 85. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. up there. I mean, that's di- very different from uh, a 60-year-old, say. That's true. Remember, that's a median. Uh, so that means there's lots of people below. Uh, absolutely. And there's different, again, there's, I'm a family doctor. I have 65-year-olds who are uh, in good health and on no medications. And I have other 65-year-olds who have a, a wide range of health issues or are immunocompromised for different reasons. So uh, people will have to be mindful of their own health, but certainly... Uh, people who are older will have to continue to be particularly mindful. Okay. And uh, also in terms of the benchmarks, you know, one of the things that we see almost every day, we see uh, 
how many uh, tests and how many uh, people in ICU and how many people on ventilators. Mm-hmm. So is is that a metric that's critical before anything could loosen up? I think they, they will all help inform the situation, absolutely. I think, you know, there's sort of two things. First of all, does the data suggest that the community rate of spread is low enough and stable enough that we can think about opening it up, yes or no? And then if we think yes, that they, you know, we're in a state where we can think about it, what are the right things to open up? And those are two slightly, one is a precursor to the other one. We have to say, okay, are we seeing the number of new cases leveling off? Do we have the number of hospitalizations sort of at a lower leveling off? Um, maybe even going down a bit, if, but certainly staying level. Um, and if that's the case, then what are the first things uh, that we might want to feel safe about opening up and then watching that quite closely? And again, because the exposure time can be up to a couple of weeks, I don't think people should expect uh, to rapidly see, okay, we're opening here, and then five days later we're moving to this opening, and then five more days we're going to open up to the next phase. And, you know, this will have to go relatively slowly uh, because it takes some time for us to see the disease spread. So it would be sort of two-week intervals from each thing? My guess, that would be, you know, again, I won't speak for the Premier, obviously. Um, But, yes, I would think we'd be looking at sort of two- to four-week intervals uh, to be able to carefully um, sort of watch what's happening as we as we progressively move forward. Okay. Uh, Dr. Tepper, is there uh, anything else that you would like to leave us with? I think I would just, again, something I mentioned a minute ago, which is, you know, as frustrating and as hard as it is, continue to abide by the social distancing uh, rules. Again, we're talking about a change in roughly a month's time you still got a month to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we can't, we can't change our behavior today because we're excited about something that's going to happen in a month from now. And so we do have to double down. We should feel proud, I guess, of the number of Canadians who've been saved because of how hard we've collectively been uh, self-isolating and, and, and physically distancing. And, and we need to continue. And people can't confuse what the Premier's talking about doing in four weeks with what people think they want to do this weekend. Okay. Good advice. Dr. Joshua thank Tepper, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you and have a good day, Libby. You too. Stay well. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.